Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Estella. I'm the director of training, and I get an opportunity to do some really cool stuff and meet some really interesting people. And on today's podcast, we've got none other than the flip-flop guy, Andy Muckle. Andy and I actually met for the first time at Black Rifle Coffee over in Salt Lake City uh, when he did his infamous flip-flop barbecue and got all of us hooked on that particular method. Guys, Black Rifle Coffee is our first sponsor today, and we're super excited to have them as our sponsor because they are making all of this possible. Uh, they've been a longtime friend. We all drink their coffee. We've got it here in the office, and it seems like everyone has their own personal favorite. I like Silencer Smooth. I like Beyond Black. Um, they've got some really, really good stuff. So please check them out. Their website is www.blackriflecoffee.com. While you're over there, take a look at their coffee club. It's not a bad way to go if you want to get, you know, a different variety of coffee every so often. Like I said, good folks over there. That's where I met Andy Muckle, who's going to be on this podcast in just a few minutes. Our second sponsor for this podcast is Anthem Snacks. Uh, their website is anthemsnacks.com. They are a Green Beret veteran-owned company based out of Montana. And the funny thing with Anthem Snacks is that everyone here at the company we all have it widely available to us at our headquarters at a retail store. And we know that when a person buys it, we know that that bag is not going to last more than a day. It's almost an ongoing challenge to just have one piece. And it's also a challenge to not let others have your Anthem snacks because it really is that good, right? There's a lot of beef jerky that's out there that when you bite into it, you feel like you're going to need to go see your dentist. This stuff is phenomenal. Um, highly, highly recommend you check out Anthem Snacks, anthemsnacks.com. If you use the code FIELDCRAFT10, you will get 10% off of your order. The final sponsor that we have uh, before we get into this podcast is Triarch Systems. The folks over at Triarch Systems are amazing people. Uh, they've been very supportive of us over at Fieldcraft Survival. A lot of our instructors actually carry Triarch pistols. I'm still waiting on one to be delivered to my door. Just a little plug right there. Hopefully you guys heard that. Um, I'm waiting for a nice trial heaven. Well, I will say this about the Triarch guns that I've shot. They are like smooth as glass, super accurate. You can tell that a lot of attention goes into the detail behind the design. If you guys go to their website, www.triarchsystems.com and use the coupon code FIELDCRAFT, you will get 5% off of your order. And as I say it every single week, with the prices of ammo being what they are, take whatever discount you can get because it will allow you to buy maybe a primer. I won't even say a nine millimeter round anymore. I'm just gonna say a primer. Um, you'll be able to get a primer for that 5% off given the ridiculous rates of ammo. So guys, please check out triarchsystems.com. All right, here we go. You're about to hear some pretty, pretty heavy conversation. This is probably one of my favorite podcasts I've done to date. It is none other than Andy Muckle, the flip-flop guy. Hey guys, this is Kevin Estella with the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. Um, got a really awesome guest in the podcast studio today. And the best way I can introduce this guest is by talking about a time-honored tradition, pretty much in any hunting camp, uh, something that I've been in the privilege of partaking in, I've had the privilege of partaking in for, for many experiences, but recently I had the, the distinct honor of having the first slice off of this particular style of barbecue. Uh, and this is the, the best version ever. You know, usually when you go out on a hunt, uh, part of it is not just the kill. It's not just the stock. It's a celebration afterwards. And it doesn't matter if you're the person behind the trigger or the person releasing that arrow, 
what matters is that you're welcomed around the fire. And it's really awesome when you can all share something very similar, whether it's, you know, a you know particular cut of meat or, you know, you're all sharing cigars or whatever it may be. But it's just that that sense of community. And a while back, I was told, hey, you got to you got to reach out to this guy. He's known as the flip flop guy. And I'm like, the flip flop guy. What does flip flop guy mean? Like, are we talking about political stances? Like one day he's pro gun, one day he's anti gun, like that type of flip flopping. You know, are we talking about flip flops, you know, the type of footwear that's out there. And then I saw this video and I started watching this video and I'm like, what? That looks incredible because what it involved was a, a slab of meat, in particular, a deer leg that was getting flipped and then sliced and flipped and sliced and flipped and sliced uh, over and over. And I was like, that looks amazing. I could eat that whole thing. Well, I tried eating a lot of it last night and I definitely uh, had to put on my meat eating pants because uh, I ate way too much. But in any case, uh, long story short, uh, my friends over at Field Ethos Journal, they they told me, reach out to Andy. I reached out to Andy. Andy sent me some sauce. I got a little preview of what the flip-flop experience would be like. And I put it on salmon and I put it on all sorts of stuff like backstrap. But it was only recently that I, I actually got a chance to try this amazing, amazing barbecue uh, this grilling method. And that's just the tip of this iceberg. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff we're going to talk about uh, in this podcast. And I am very excited to be joined by none other than Mr. Flip-Flop himself, Andy Muckle. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. How are you today? Oh, I am. I'm still well fed from last night. Uh, last night, we had a, a joint venture with Black Rifle Coffee, Eastman's Hunting Journal, and Fieldcraft Survival, and Andy was the uh, the master of ceremonies when it came to all things grilled meat. How are you doing today? I'm good, dude. I, I'm re-energized, refreshed after last night. You know, standing over 1,100 degree heat for an hour, how was it, maybe even an hour and two a hours. half, two hours last two night. two hours. Yeah, two hours straight, it really zaps you. And uh, today I'm feeling great. Now you've got a, a whirlwind kind of trip going on. You've got Eastman's and us last night with Black Rifle. You've got Yeti today. You're yep. coming out for Total Archery Challenge. Um, I mean, is this normal pace for you? Yes. Jeez. My life is constantly 100 miles per hour. And and my short breaks that I get is just crash. Mm -hmm. Crash hard and then straight back to the races nonstop. Wow. And you drove from, you're in Montana now, right? Yeah, I moved up to Bozeman. But that's not where the flip-flop Originated. Origi it was in Marin County, Marin California. Where in California is that? So if you're looking at California, you go to the Golden Gate Bridge. It's the north end of the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay. Are you happy to be moved out of California? Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. So my family has been down there since the 1800s. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they came across originally in a wagon train, you know. So we're going way, way, way back. My family history in America dates all the way back to the 1600s. Um and that's a whole nother tangent, but go for it, man. It's not, it sounds like they won that game. Uh, what was that, that old video game that people used to play? Uh, Oregon trail, Oregon trail. Yes. Yeah. No one got, no one got dysentery. You yeah. shot multiple Buffalo. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So if we go way back, you can find my lineage all the way into Salem, Witch trials, um, come forward a little bit. Founders of the GOP, best friends with Abraham Lincoln. Um, you know, it's Joshua L. Giddings. He was a lawyer. He was a self-taught lawyer, mm -hmm. um, everything like that. And then at some point they traveled across to Fort Collins, Colorado, and then half the wagon train went up to Montana. Some stayed in Fort Collins. The rest came out to California. Wow. Yeah. Uh, 
I, it's amazing. You think about how few people know their family heraldry. You know what I mean? Like I, I, we can trace it back in my, in my family. I went to the baptismal fountain, uh, that my, I think it was my great, great grandfather, uh, was baptized in, in Mallorca, Spain. Mm -hmm. But from there, it pretty much drops off. Like we can't trace it that far back, but I know like out here in Utah, one of the greatest organizations for heraldry is Mm -hmm. the Mormon church. Yeah. Um, they're, they're phenomenal with, with tracking families and whatnot. Um, do you have all this written down? I mean, was it oral history or? So there's actually a book called The Giddings Family History that dives into a lot of it. Um, if anyone's read Abraham Lincoln's book that came out five years ago, I think it was. I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was longer than that. Um, but if you read that book, it, it shows up in there, a bunch of the different history. Um, John Quincy Adams, you know, you name it. They're all people that they all were all good buddies and. You yeah, know, rubbing shoulders. Yeah, I mean founders. Yeah, founders, drivers. Patriots, yeah, absolutely, drivers yeah. of America. I, I, I love. I mean, that's one thing I do miss about teaching history was talking about just the badassery of our founding fathers and our our patriots that are in our country's lineage. I mean, if you think about just an event like the Boston Tea Party, mm-hmm. like you think about how wild that was. They're like, we're gonna dress up like Native Americans. We're gonna board a ship. We're gonna vandalize the property by throwing it into the the harbor. Like, yeah, like. All of that was was probably planned in the local pubs, and these guys were just probably just stewing over the frustration of the government. And I always bring up, uh, and I'm not encouraging people to revolt or anything <laughs> like that, but I always tell people like, hey, you know, uh, one of the reasons why I love these memes that are always like taxation is theft, taxation is theft, uh, is because at the time of the revolution, the cumulative total of your taxes was 3%. Mm-hmm. And now on average, you're paying 30 plus percent with is that insane? Sale, yeah, right. Sales tax, uh, income tax, property yeah. tax. Like it goes on and on and on. So I'm I'm super proud of our, our country's heritage. Um, you know, I get it. I understand why people might be offended by this and that, but you cannot say, you can't not teach it. You have to understand that that was part of our past and, and how we got here today. Um, but now let's talk about your past. Yeah. Because I'd recently listened to your your podcast. I know you've got one. Uh, I know you said you haven't been as active. It's on hold right now. It's on hold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was phenomenal. Um, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to expect listening to it. (laughs) I started listening to it coming home last night and I listened to the rest this morning. And there are so many, I think, amazing concepts that our listeners here can take from it and apply to their lives. Um, as a former history teacher, I'm going to say you probably weren't the best student early on. Nope. Based on your, your story. Yeah. Um, I, I wasn't the best student. And also for me in my youth, like I was very ADHD, like, you know, I couldn't sit still, had no attention span whatsoever, but a, a big problem. And I just actually recalled this with my dad. My dad brought mm-hmm. it to my attention. He actually used to have to show up to my school to get my teachers to produce the work that I was turning in because my teachers were taking my homework and not grading it and then giving me a zero and saying it never got turned in. And then my dad would show up and magically all my work would appear out mm-hmm. of their desk somewhere. So it was part of that, too. Yeah. Super discouraging as a kid to have to deal with that. that that's a great point right there. Um, you know, I'll tell you, there are some phenomenal teachers out there, but then there are also some teachers that just collect a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And I encourage every listener here, if you have a kid in a public school system or even private school system, don't be the helicopter parent that wants to know every little detail. Don't check in every single day, but don't be afraid to ask your teachers, hey, can you just hold on to the work? Just put it into a folder. I'll collect it. I just want to keep my kid accountable and use words like this. Let's both make sure that my kid's successful, you know, like show that you're a team because often 
if you're a parent, you assume that the teacher is working against your kid. If you're a teacher, you assume that the parent is siding with the kid. Like realize that the kid at, at the end of the day, like we want to get that kid to succeed. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's, that's awesome that your dad did that yeah. because that shows his level of caring. Hey guys, this is Kevin. I'm just going to interrupt this podcast just for a second to recognize one of our sponsors. And that is athletic greens, the website or the link you should actually use if you want something cool is athleticgreens.com forward slash fieldcraft. And that will get you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Now, here's my story with Athletic Greens. Uh, I'll never forget the day that we first learned about Athletic Greens. We we're like, let's do a taste test. Oh, we're gonna do this reaction video. Oh, people are gonna think it's disgusting. And none of us had a disgusting reaction. We were actually like, ah, oh, it's actually really, really good. And ever since that day, which was sometime probably in late February, March, I've been drinking Athletic Greens religiously in the morning. Even when I travel to remote places, like we just got back from Alaska, I had Athletic Greens on the road. When I I missed Athletic Greens when I did my 72-hour challenge. This stuff is legit. And I will tell you that when you're trying to maintain a diet where you're trying to get all your greens, this is the stuff that you want because it allows you to get all your daily green requirements in a single drink that you can have first thing in the morning. Um, so if you guys go over to athleticgreens.com forward slash fieldcraft, you can get a free one-year supply of vitamin D, which is a little drop. You just put on your tongue every morning, good to go. And you'll get five free travel packs. Um, please check it out. I think you're going to really enjoy it. But <laughs> let's, let's talk about that, that youth, because who you are today is not who you were in the past Yes, and there's growth there. So Early on, you said that you and your friends would uh, would hang out and you got into some bad stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So my alcoholism and drug addiction started at a very young age. Um, the, the best way to say it would be by 12 years old, I was, you know, very, very deep in things that I shouldn't have been involved in, especially as a kid, mm-hmm. um, especially as any citizen in, in the country. And uh you know, from there, I mean, my, my alcoholism was budding, my drug addiction was budding. And, and by the time I was 15, you know, it became a ward of the state of California. California was kind of like, yeah, you're out of control, kid. Like, you know, we're going to send you off. And Mm -hmm. I I ended up doing a wilderness treatment center. Um, in that there was also a 16 day wilderness trip, cross country skiing through the Bob Marshall, uh, which was, probably one of the most life-changing experiences of that I've ever had. And uh, in that, there was a four-day solo where I lived in a snow cave by myself with like this thick questionnaire packet about all the terrible things I had done in my life. And um, there we go. Sorry about that. Yeah, the sound is much better. Yeah. Um, and it was all the terrible thing, you know, asking questions, details, everything Journaling. like that. Journaling. Yeah. And I went through that and doing that at the age of 15 and reflecting on it while I'm doing it and I'm stuck by myself for four days really gave me the opportunity to understand the bad decisions I was making and reflect and, you know, try to figure out what I can do better to be a better human and a a better citizen and um, better, uh, I guess, neighbor to my neighbor, son to my parents, brother to my brother, you know, increase the list. And after that, I was down in Texas for a while and uh, slowly started finding my way out of the drug culture Mm -hmm. that I was involved in. And, you know, for me, watching a movie like Blow growing up or watching a movie like Belly, if you're familiar with Mm -hmm. Belly, 
um, all those movies, you know, and the music I listened to, everything influenced me to want to live that kind of a lifestyle. Uh, Goodfellas, you know, you name it. And I managed to maintain, I'll, I'll call it sobriety, right? I was just dry. Like there was mm -hmm. no, like there was no spiritual connection. There was no, there was nothing to fortify myself between me and a drink. And uh, that lasted about three years. And after three years, when I was right around 18, I just like was off to the races, you know. Be before we we, yeah. we continue on, something that I was I was thinking about when I listened to your podcast, and now I'm, I'm wondering now, before that wilderness experience, before you became the ward of the state, mm -hmm. I mean, I have an idea of what some of the warning signs would have looked like. Yeah. Like if you were my student, if if you were my friend, if, if I were... Uh, if, if I were watching you, like maybe there were some things that I would definitely see like, wow, that's a huge red flag. I'm, I'm wondering if, if Andy's in trouble. What are some of the warning signs that people simply aren't aware of, right? Because as a teacher, I would say like, wow, the, the work productivity just dropped off or they're sleeping in class mm -hmm. or, um, you know, they, they seem very distant. They're, they're giving away possessions, things like that. Like, are there any, are there any warning signs that listeners now might not be aware of, but they should be if there's someone that they're questioning might have those type of issues. Yeah. Um, well, so first for me, one of the, one of my biggest jumping off points when I was young was the death of my grandfather, who actually my whole entire brand is based around the flip-flop guy mm -hmm. and everything I'm doing. It's all a memory of my grandfather and the tradition that he started in the family recipe and the marinade. Um, and like you said, my work productivity dropped off. We started to have meetings with my teachers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, in my, in eighth grade, I dove deep into psychedelics and I was mm -hmm. running around the campus with uh, boom boxes playing weird music and, you know, all different kinds of things. I think today in modern society, there's more of a culture for kids that maybe aren't off the rails that are right. just being weird. You know, it's it's kind of more normal these days. Um, I wouldn't know these days to say what what warning signs could be out mm -hmm. there. Uh, you know, because I was always kind of just a weird kid. Um, you know, but like a life changing event, and then finding a way to deal with that. Okay. You know, uh, and my way that I dealt with it was through drugs and alcohol. That would be a really great question for my parents to kind of dive into because. You know, I'm sure that they had warning signs, you know, but I was, I was, I was breaking my curfews. I was not, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't listening. I was lashing out constantly, kind of normal for teenagers. But I think at the same time, like, um, probably more so than yeah, what someone would consider normal. A term that's often used in, in counseling and whatnot, they always say autopilot, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're just on autopilot, like it, it's running, you're just going through the motions, that type of thing. That wilderness retreat reminds me of so many movies where there's always like the one counselor and there's the quote unquote bad kids, right? That go, um, I mean, they probably didn't let you carry a knife. I'm assuming, right? No, not that, at all. Now let's think about this one, guys. If you're listening to this one, I'm sure you've done fireless nights in like a, like a deer camp or whatever. Like you said, Hey, no fire tonight. Or maybe you've had like a stove and that was it, but no lantern. Um, it takes a certain amount of balls to go out into the woods without a knife. Um, like, like especially you in that. the Bob Marshall's Bob Marshall's yeah, no right. joke. Um, what was the biggest challenge? I mean, four days in a snow cave, that sounds 
like a very incredible experience in terms of like getting to know yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from that was, was the challenge, the, the lack of connection was the challenge, the physical hardship, like looking back on that now, if you were to say, wow, the greatest challenge was, what was it? Um, the greatest challenge I would say that I faced in that whole thing was coming to terms with who I had become as a human being Yeah, and trying to figure out what can I do to be a better person. Um, the physical stuff was rough. Uh, I mean, the uphill battles on cross country skis is terrifying, mm-hmm. but, and this, this kind of goes back to hunting. Um, one thing that I've learned a lot is that if I just knuckle up mm-hmm. and and keep going and stay determined, I can do anything, you know. And I would say that that a lot of that probably came out of that trip, you know, because we were doing I can't remember what the highest peak climb we did in that, but we were doing peak climbs and struggling, and you know, you have to use an ice pick to get water out of the river bottoms, <laughs> like. Yeah. You know, you got to dig through three feet of snow before you get to the ice. Then you got to get through the ice and then you got to boil the water, the whole deal. And if we couldn't get water, we had to boil snow and, Mm -hmm. you know, so really just kind of learning all that um, and overcoming a lot of the fears that come inside of that, you know, like we might not have water tonight. All right. What do we have to do? Find a solution. And at 15, it's an extremely impressionable age um, where all of those really, I think really helped wire me to be able to take on anything and not be afraid. And it helped me look at my life, like the problems I was having with my teachers or Mm -hmm. anything like that. And instead of being like, oh, I was a victim, like, yeah, that stuff happened. Yeah, that sucks. But yeah, look where I am today. And then, you know, another year, look where I am today and look at the progress. And like those things actually do not determine who I am as a person. I determine who I am as a person. You know, I'm my own boss and, mm-hmm. you know, I can either choose to get up, get out there and get after it, or I can choose to play the victim and I can say, oh, well, you know, this is terrible and my circumstances right, were terrible. Right. Like there's plenty of times in life when circumstances can be terrible. And if I don't look for the positive in it, it's going to destroy me as a human. So I try to find the positive in everything. And I think a lot of that comes from those experiences. What's What's interesting is in that whole podcast that you did over an hour long, you didn't say the word victim once. Yeah. And this is the first time I heard you saying that. And I think that's an important, you know, kind of perspective. You can either claim that you're a victim or you can say you're a survivor of circumstances, Mm -hmm. right? And one means that power is taken away from you. The other one means you have the power to survive. Yeah. And I think that's incredibly important. Something that, I I mean, I don't, I want to just paraphrase a little bit of of that podcast because I want to focus on some other stuff, but I know that you were kind of in and out of sobriety, but then you had like a breaking point, like where it was essentially rock bottom for you. Yeah. Um, And then you found your way out. Mm -hmm. You mentioned in your podcast that there was a a book that you read. Mm -hmm. What was, what was that experience? Like if you could kind of give us a a summary of it. Um, And and by the way, I encourage all of you guys find Andy's podcast, podcast 100 and listen to like all the backstory of what we're we're glossing over right now, because it is amazing. Um, But what was that rock bottom moment for you? What age were you? And what was the process of finally just turning it around saying, I'm done with this? Um, so I was 19 years old. Uh, I was pretty much rendered homeless. I'd lost both my jobs that I had. Uh, I was living my living in my car or friend's couches. You can call that homeless. You cannot. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I was homeless. I had no home except for my car. That's where all my clothes were. That's, you know, when I wouldn't find a place to sleep, I'd be sleeping in my car. Um, anyways, at the end of it, I had totaled my car. I was defecating blood on a pretty much daily basis. I was drinking 151 daily and doing an eight ball of cocaine daily, just about like, and that's just where I was. And I was okay with that. And I hit that rock bottom and I woke up one day and I was like, my car was totaled from a drunk driving accident. Um, and I was like, I can't live like this, man. I'm going to die. Like, and I don't want to die. I want to live. And I made that choice that day to live. Um, and I knew for me in my heart of hearts, I had gotten offered a job opportunity. And if I knew as an alcoholic that if I were to drink that day, I got, I got offered a job and the guy said, show up here tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. And this was like before I had started drinking. So it was like 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. The, the day prior. And, um, you know, he's like, show up tomorrow at 5 a.m. And I knew that day. If I'd had any alcohol, I had no idea what was going to happen. I had no idea what was going to be the outcome of what I was going to do. Was it going to be three-day bender, five-day bender, one-day bender? You know, because when I start, when I ingest alcohol, something happens where like all bets are off. You know, there's no guarantee of anything, including sanity. Um, And I didn't have a drink that day. I made it through that week. And... A good friend of my family, his name is Chili Billy. His real name was Bill W. And uh, Bill sat me down. I was breaking concrete. And Bill was like, man, you really need to get back on your game. You need to stop doing what you're doing. Your dad's talked to me about it. Like, figure your life out. And I think I had like a week of ingesting no alcohol. And uh, I kind of just was like, all right, man. You know, I, I got to actually be an adult. I got to be responsible. And, you know, with that came, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of great opportunity, a lot of great experience. Um, when I was about eight months sober, eight months or six months sober, maybe seven months sober, I fell 35 feet out of a forklift, broke my knee, my back, burst my liver and smashed my face and had a pallet of slate land on top of me. Um, I fell out of a cradle. And, uh, I'm laying on the ground. First words out of my mouth when the ambulance rolled up was, you know, I do not want anything to change what I'm going through. I want to feel this pain. And they were like, absolutely not. (laughs) They spiked me up. I was out for like, you know, days. But, uh, you know, that was for me that, that spiritual connection that I needed, you know, and I had found that through the program that I had joined and everything that I was doing for myself. Um, and through that, I was, I was able to discover things in my, you know, I'd, I'd suffered from like depression and suicide Mm -hmm. attempts and, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd gone to psych ward, um, you know, and, and, and my sobriety, I found out like, you know, I had suffered from sexual abuse and things like that, things that I blocked out in my Mm -hmm. mind 100% again, and we're going to play the victim card, right. Where I could sit back and be like, well, I was a victim. And I can truly say today, and this is going to sound Stockholm syndrome, like I can truly say today that that's probably some of the best things that's ever happened to me because I had the ability to look at the positive of it and the positive being the amount of men, the amount of women, the amount of other people in society that I've gotten to help and I've gotten to talk to about how I came through that and the benefit of being to help, being able to help other people through that is so strong and so powerful that I'm grateful that it happened to me because I was an individual 
that God saw fit to put in this world to be able mm-hmm. to come through it and help others, you know? Yeah. It, what's interesting is, you know, your story follows like you you first start off helping yourself by journaling, right? Mm-hmm. And then you maybe help out your close friends. But now if you think about it, all the listeners here, right? Mm-hmm. Thousands and thousands of people, you're helping community, right? Yeah. So it, your help extends from self outward. Um, but there are so many people that are quick to say, I'm just going to keep this all inside. And it just burns you inside mm-hmm. for, um, for a lifetime, man. And for a lifetime. And I can tell you, I've, I've talked to people that are in their sixties and seventies and have never admitted it to anybody their mm-hmm. entire life. And now they feel comfortable talking to me about it. You that's know, amazing. and what that's allowing them is the release to actually admit it and actually be like, okay, this happened. And like start figuring out the navigation to get out of it and stop holding on to it. Cause I know for me, once it actually came up, like it was actually something that had gone through, I had gone through my entire life affecting me every single day of my life without even knowing it, Wow, you know, and, and to be able to help people that are, you know, survivors after 20 years or 30 years or five years, or, you know what I mean? Increase the list. Like, Getting to be able to be that vessel that gets to help somebody else. To me, community, man, that's mm-hmm. what it's all about. That's what I wish we had more of in this country right now, you know, because it's I know. where it's such a loss of community. It's like that's what everybody wants to destroy is the sense of community within our society. And it's terrifying. Just interrupting this podcast to recognize one of our sponsors, and that is Headspace. The website is headspace.com forward slash fieldcraft. And if you go there, you can try it out for one month. Now, there are a lot of people out there that will tell you, look, I've got a a solution for you in terms of getting better sleep, uh, how to be more focused and whatnot. Well, Headspace can definitely change your life. Uh, A lot of our guys have tried Headspace and they will say that they uh, definitely can focus more and their productivity is through the roof. And I've seen it, right? I work with these guys every single day. Headspace, if you ask them, they'll tell you that it makes them feel healthier, happier, and definitely more present in their everyday life. So if you go to headspace.com slash fieldcraft, one more time, headspace.com slash fieldcraft, you'll get a free one month trial and you can have access to the full library of meditations. Um, It's one of the best deals going on right now. So check it out. I mean, the worst thing that could happen is you don't like it, but you probably will. So headspace.com forward slash fieldcraft, check it out today. Yeah, your your story is so familiar uh, in so many ways. I, I have a friend of mine who this was in 2012, and I remember this vividly. I remember being at the old survival school, and over by the area where we used to do like tripod lashings and, and frontier lashings. Um, and I remember getting a phone call from my buddy saying, "I'm in the hospital." And I'm like, "What?" He goes, uh, "I was drinking and I crashed my car and I broke both of my arms." Now. That might not seem like a lot for a lot of folks, but you have to understand that this friend of mine had MS and he was on hand crutches. Mm -hmm. So now he is completely, completely immobile. And he said, I have to admit, I have a drinking problem. And I remember saying to my buddy and I was like, do you need someone to go with you to, you know, your your counseling? And I, I remember him saying, something to the extent of, you know, I appreciate the hell out of you for, for offering that because not a lot of people would. Um, now I think with something that you said in your podcast that we should talk about is, you know, I think often friends are afraid to approach or address a potential issue because it's like, well, that my friend is not going to be my friend if I bring up something like this. 
What do you think the correct way of addressing someone like a good friend? What do you think the correct way of, of approaching someone would be? Like, is there, is it just like, Hey, you're screwing up. Is mm -hmm. it, can we talk like how, so, how would you would, would, would have wanted like your best friend to hit you up? I actually have a really good example of this. Yeah. And I can only speak to one person in my life who, aside from my family, whoever really approached me about it. It was my best friend. His name's Ray Morales. We've been best friends forever. And uh, he was the only friend of mine that had the balls enough to come to me and talk to me directly. And I remember it vividly. Um, he approached me one day and he's like, hey, dude, everybody knows that you're beyond gone. Mm -hmm. You need to fix your life. You need to get your shit together. Excuse my language. That's fine. Okay. Um, he's like, you need to get all your stuff together. Like, and I was maybe 14 at the time. And that was right before I got sent away and got arrested and like everything else started, all the, everything was falling apart. And that was the best way, you know, um, in my time and experience, you know, uh, I had to deal with a family member who was suffering from heroin and crack addiction. Mm -hmm. And eventually got to the point where I just had to be like, get out of my life. I don't want anything to do with you and cut all ties. And I told him at that time, I was like, Hey man, I don't want to hear from you or see you until you have a year sober. You know, like I, I, I just don't want anything to do with you. Um, so what Ray had done was let me know that the problem was real and it was happening and everybody saw it. And then fast forward you know, how many of her years down the line, I think that my, my brother's been sober for eight or nine years now, family, kids, great job crushing mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, taking what Ray had done and then also understanding how in depth we can get as drug addicts and alcoholics. I knew that the only way out of it to the best way that I could help my brother was no longer being a crutch. I had to just rip the crutch away and say, fall on your face, man, yeah. I'm done, you know? So those, those I would say would probably be the best two examples of mm -hmm. letting them know. And then if they don't change anything, ripping away the crutch. Right. You know? What, what's interesting too, is this whole time that you were experiencing all these problems, all these issues, you drifted far away from the great outdoors, but it was the, yeah. ultimately the great outdoors that you said was like the greatest healer. 100% nature is my church. You know, and, and, and you're, and I'm sorry to cut you off. That was yeah. something I took away too. your perspective on you can't, what, what was your wording? You can't tell the trees to stop growing. Yeah. Right. You and can't it, tell the waves to stop crashing. Yes. You know what I mean? You, we as human beings, and that was a big disconnect for me. I, I, you know, struggled with religion and, and all that kind of stuff. And the best way it was put to me, my, I was, I was struggling with a spiritual concept and my buddy said, Okay, cool. Uh, call me. I want you to wake up at 4.45 tomorrow morning. Make a cup of coffee and call me. Called him. He's like, all right, I want you to go on your front porch and I want you to tell the sun not to come up. <laughs> and I went out yeah. and, I, and I did it. You yeah. know what I mean? Just to see how it goes and, you know, go through the emotions of it. And I went out and I sat on the porch. I told the sun not to come up. I mean, the sun still came up, man. I'm not the greatest power on this planet. As far as I'm concerned, nature is the greatest power. And when nature decides, there's no changing what nature mm -hmm. is going to do because nature, nature is metal. Is, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Great, like, great Instagram page, by the way. 100%. But like, you can't, you can't stop death. You can't stop 
all of the things of nature. And that is where I've found my spirituality and that's where I found my faith. And that's where I've been able to connect on a point where like I can comprehend it, you know, because the other stuff was very difficult for me to comprehend, especially, you know, coming from sexual abuse and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and allegations and blah, 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 you know, like that was where I found my reprieve is in nature. And that's why I say today, nature is my church. I I find for me going into nature on a sheep hunt, on a deer hunt, on an elk hunt, on any of these kind of hunts, when I get out there and I sit down and I'm sitting on my glassing pad, I'm about to get behind my glass and I'm looking at stuff that maybe a hundred people have ever seen mm-hmm. on the planet, you know, or experienced on the planet and the sun's coming up and everything's happening. Like, I get uh, my excitement for that is the same excitement that an extremely religious man gets when he goes to church on Sunday. Something that you brought up in in your story, and I think it's interesting, uh, and it's kind of a similarity between us. My grandmother was ninety eight when she passed away. Mm-hmm. Super, super stubborn Polish woman. She used to mm-hmm. she used to like tuck underneath my armpit and be like, "Oh, look how big my grandson is!" Right, like ninety eight lived on her own, like would garden against everyone's wishes. Like you're gonna fall on your face. She never did. Like yeah. tough, tough as nails. I, I love the fact that for a while when she was still alive, you would call your grandmother and be like, hey, look what I just did. You know, yeah. like, who do you call now? Because I know you probably want to share your experience in the great outdoors with someone mm-hmm. who and I'll, I'll never say that you could replace that void that your grandmother had. But is yeah. there someone that you call now? Yeah. So my grandmother was an amazing individual. She was born at the Point Reyes Lighthouse to a lighthouse keeping family. Um before the Coast Guard took it over Mm -hmm. and everything like that. So she started driving cars and working in cars when she was 10 years old. Um, Back then, it was all dirt roads. All the, if you were gonna call call your neighbor, you'd pick up a phone or you'd pick up a Mm -hmm. talking piece and it would ring every single house on the line until somebody picked up, you know? So my grandma was like this gnarly old woman (laughs) and like one of the most savage hunters and accomplished (laughs) outdoors women that I had ever met in my life. So growing up, I'd always call her and share my successes. And once I got into into sobriety, I should say, and once I got my life back together and reconnected with my roots. um, Today, it's, you know, like one of the really important things for me is trying to plan a big hunt with my dad every year. My dad's getting older and older and it's, and I talk about this in my first podcast I ever did, um, which was years ago, but you know, watching my dad growing older and he can't crush mountains as well as he used mm-hmm. to. And I mean, this man built the home that I grew up in by himself, like, you know, and, and watching him go down that. But my dad is the person who I usually will call or my mom and I'll share my experience or whatever's going on or whatever crazy things are happening in my life. And I, I mean, I, every day in my life is absolutely insane right now. Like the things that happen, it's, I'm in this like vortex and it's just every day, new big things hit me. It's, it's absolute insanity and, um, getting to share that with them. And I have another really good friend. His name is Joe. Coincidentally, my dad's name is Joe as well. Mm -hmm. Um, my, my best friend, Joe, he's one of the only people who I actually feel comfortable with. Like we'll sit down and we'll just talk about everything crazy. Um, because we've known each other for so long and we have so many uh, common similarities in our lives. So I would say that 
probably those three people are the people that are like my go-tos when I'm like, dude, this is insane. I need to tell you, or I just got back from this hunt and this is what it was. And again, to planning these hunts with my dad and making sure every year I'm getting outdoors with my dad and spending that time with him, you know, whether he gets frustrated or I get frustrated Mm -hmm. or we get mad at each other or whatever happens, you know, but I want to be like for me and the money isn't an issue for me when it comes to that kind of stuff. Because I would rather die broke and be able to look back on my life and be like, man, me and my dad did some crazy stuff together. Like, you know, and and be able to have those adventures because to me that's so much more important than anything that money could ever buy me, you know, like, so I I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. It does. And I think, I think what's cool is that you, you hit rock, rock, you hit rock bottom like that. But now you're doing some pretty amazing stuff. Like you've been on some incredible hunts. Uh, do you have one hunt that stands out as like the hunt of a lifetime? <laughs> uh, By the way, I always throw these random questions out yeah, folks that are, that are like make people think in the moment, like, oh my God, why did he ask that? Like now I'm going to force you to choose like your favorite hunt. So two years ago, um, I had the most amazing and wonderful opportunity. I ended up going on nine sheep hunts. Um, on a sheep capture with Kuyu Conservation Direct where we captured 55 sheep and transplanted them, I think it was to three different locations in order to start three new herds of wild sheep mm-hmm. across America. Um, that went on a deer hunt where we killed almost a 230-inch mule deer with uh, three really great guys. Uh, it was Buck, Ty, and, and Brett, and... It's so hard to say, and you know, and then, uh, you know, and those nine sheep hunts were epic. I mean, I spent 14 days on the White Mountains of California with Kika Worldwide doing guided sheep hunts and stuff like that. The three clients that we had up there were absolutely just phenomenal. Um, camping at 12 and a half thousand feet mm-hmm. is absolutely insane, <laughs> you know, and like the conditions and trying to find water, like there's so many mm-hmm. issues that come up at elevation. Um, I got to go hunt BC with a buddy of mine, Dallas Coda with um, Kuyu and he does Kuyu Canada and 15 days on horseback in BC, seeing the Northern lights, you know, getting to experience a stone sheep hunt, late season stone sheep hunt where we went from like halfway decent weather to rain to, you know, a foot and a half of snow overnight Mm -hmm. and experience that absolutely phenomenal. Um, there's, you know, and then I'll, so I'll go to my hunting last year here in Utah. Um, and it was probably one of the best hunts of my life. And I actually ended up, I wasn't successful in the sense of killing an animal. Um, but I was successful in the sense of my own reward where I had seen 13 mature bucks, Mm -hmm. none of which were the caliber and class that I was looking for. Uh, and I passed on all of them and I could have killed every single one of them. Uh, and that was a really, really great feeling. And to come out of that hunt, it was me, my dad and, and a good friend of ours, Ricky. And uh, coming out of that hunt was just extremely rewarding for me because it was a great hunt. We did everything we could do. My dad mm-hmm. at 70 years old was doing three and a half, four hour hikes every morning at elevation gains of 4,000 feet, you know, and, and crushing it and having a great time. And my dad was passing on bucks and he had a great time. Everybody had a great time. The experience of the hunt was bar none, you know? And again, that was a hunt where we didn't kill anything. 
Yeah. That's one of the hardest things people might not realize is, you know, when you, uh, you know, you've got like, say like a 10 day hunt or a 14 day hunt mm -hmm. and you see something on day one and it's like, our hunt's over. We're just going to hang out in camp. If we do something today, it's like, yeah. you got to be patient and say, we're going to see more. You know what I mean? Like maybe if you're going with someone who's been out a dozen times and they've never been successful and they see something on day one, they take it. Right. But if you've been successful, it's really, really hard to, to say, you know what, not today. Mm -hmm. Like we'll just pass, you know? Um, yeah, your, your experience is hunting. Obviously I've, I've been following your, your Facebook page or not Facebook, Instagram page. Um, they speak for themselves. Your flip flop though. Yeah. Let's dive into let's that. Let's finally get to that. Sorry right? guys. No, 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 this, that's fine. No, um, now this was a family tradition, yes. but when did it become a public tradition? Like you brought it to the public at some point. And I mean, at one point, I mean, Donald Trump Jr., by the way, we're trying to get Donald Trump Jr. onto this podcast. Uh, I've been messaging him and hopefully uh, he said he would, he'd jump on, but he's a busy guy. So uh, if you guys know him, uh, say, hey, get on the Field Craft Podcast. Um, at some point, Donald, uh, Donald Trump Jr. even did it. Mm -hmm. How did you get to the point where you're now doing barbecues for Black Rifle Coffee, Field Craft, and Eastman's all at once? Um, that's a really interesting story, I guess, would be you know, the best way to put it. Um, so, and we're going to go all the way back to the original lineage mm -hmm. of it. My grandfather started doing it late 1950s, early 1960s. He started in West Marin. There's no social media. There's no internet. There's absolutely nothing. So it was all word of mouth. And back then the flip-flop blew up. Um, I mean, I know families in Fairfield, California. I know families all over West Marin, Sonoma County, all these different places. Um, where when I kind of like started kind of making it public, people were showing up like, hey, my family does that, you know, and, and kind of I would I don't want to say challenging me, but challenging me trying to say they were the originators of it. And I'm like, well, where'd your family learn it? And they're like, well, they learned it in West Marin from a California Fish and Game Warden. And I'm like, well, that California Fish and Game Warden was my grandfather. Um, Boom, then, son. <laughs> <laughs> it's always an interesting feeling, um, you know, and, and actually so – he blew it up and the butcher shops all through Marin and Sonoma County, you could go into a butcher shop and be like, cut this into a flip-flop. The butcher shops would know exactly what you're talking about. It was a very widespread, I guess at that time, what you would have called a viral thing. Mm -hmm. um, excuse me. Um, all the way up until my grandfather died in 1998. Uh, and as I said, that coincides with me diving off the deep end. I was born in 1985, so, you know, I was 13 years old when I really, excuse me again, sorry, this carbonated drink is making me burp. Um, so my first opportunity publicly uh, to really introduce it into the hunting world was, I want to say 2016 or 2017 at Kuyu mm -hmm. with Jason Harrison, and I showed up at the Kuyu garage sale. They used to do this really cool event every year. They'd sell all their returned gear. Um, and Jason and company all invited me out, you know, and said, yeah, we'd, we'd love to have you come do this, you know, come do it in our parking lot. That'd be great. And that was the first time I really, outside of family and friends and everybody, where I got to go do it at that kind of a level. Um, and... Funny enough, as it is, there was an employee of Kuyu. His name's Cody. Dude's absolutely phenomenal. Epic guy. He works in the store still. Um, 
his cousin showed up because they heard someone was coming to do a flip-flop. Well, his cousin brought their marinade and their knife, and the knife is a big part of it. And you only know if you've done it for a long time how big of a part of it the knife, the role of the knife is. Um, and they so they brought their family knife and their family recipe and everything like that. And they were like, yeah, we're going to, you know, who are you? You know, and, th- and then we found out later from his grandmother that uh, my grandfather had actually taught their grandfather how to do it. And then their grandfather was so inspired. He actually ended up taking a career inside California Fish and Wildlife. Um, interesting. But I started there. And from there, I was uh, at Wild Sheep Show later that year with Jeff Rowley and a couple other friends. And Jeff introduced me to the folks at Yeti and was like, you guys got to see what this guy does. And Yeti was so impressed. The employee with Yeti was so impressed. Sloan, Sloan was so impressed. He was like, dude, you got to come out and cook that for us. We got to try that. <laughs> um, so three and a half years ago, they had me out to their Western Hunt Expo and I did it at their house. And then they had me out to Total Archery Challenge and I did it with them at Total Archery Challenge. So this is my third year doing stuff with Yeti. Um, And it's just kind of snowballed. And the most amazing part about it is that this is a way of cooking wild game that no one's thought of, no one's seen. So it's kind of exploding, you know, across the seaboard. And I'm extremely fortunate in some of the circles I run in uh, where they rub shoulders with Don Jr. And they rub shoulders with these other folks. Mm -hmm. Um, Field Ethos Magazine, who you mentioned earlier, Field Ethos Hunting Journal, um, they had seen it on a company called West Coast Archery and they're based out of Petaluma Archery Shop. Phenomenal people. I've known them for 10 plus years. Um, He had seen it over there. Jason Vincent had seen it over there and, you know, followed the the links to get to me and reached out to me and was like, we'd love to have you come out to an event. This is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to try this. And I think they had tried it a couple times at that point. Um, and it had been gaining traction and notoriety and all in the meanwhile, during this, I'm in the background trying to make my sauce, trying to get it bottled, trying to get it packaged, um, trying to bring the recipe to life to a brand, uh, which was a tedious three-year process. They'd send me a sample, it wouldn't be right. They'd send me a sample, it wouldn't be right. And what actually ended up happening, eventually we got to the point where it was like, all right, I need you guys to hand fill every single bottle one at a time. And they're like, <laughs> you know what that means, right? And I'm like, I don't care what it means. If that's going to be the only way that we're going to make this work, that's the only way that we're going to make this work. Um, so for me, when I handcraft the recipe myself, it's usually 80 to $120 uh, for me to make one batch of marinade for a leg um, and streamlining it and getting everything I've, been able to make it to an affordable price, uh, you know, but at the same time, when you're cooking an entire deer leg, you're feeding how many people? Oh my we? God. We had 50 or 60 last Yeah. Night. I mean, we did two deer legs, but I think yeah. one deer leg would have been enough actually. Agreed. Like, yeah. You know? We were just gluttons last night. Yeah. Like, last night. Should was, we make this? We're like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I had yeah. to stand up and be like, are you like, are you guys dedicated? Because if you're not dedicated, we don't have to cook this other leg. Everyone's like, we're dedicated. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Here's another 20 pounds of meat. <laughs> You know, and thank God my buddy, Jeff Hellman, he's the one who sent me that deer leg or he brought me two deer leg. They were access deer legs from Texas on a hunt that he had done down there. Just 
I mean, axis deer is the cream of the crop, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And um, anyways, we cook that up, you know, and one deer like feeds a lot of people. It does. You know, especially if there's sides and everything like that. I don't really. What was funny last night was how, and it's, it's caught on video. You're like, if you guys don't come up, you're not getting meat. Like, and you said it's best when people are all around you. But what was interesting last night was there were a lot of folks that didn't realize that it was for everyone. Mm -hmm. Right. And they were kind of a little reluctant. Meanwhile, like I'm up there like a, like a drooling dog, like, give me more, give me more. Um, but that's part of the experience, right? Like you, you get up there, you've got your piece of buttered, uh, French bread Mm -hmm. and you put it on there and that fresh slice it's, I've never in, this is no blow, blown smoke up your ass. I've never had wild game. That's that good where, you know, I mean, I've, you could say, Oh, backstrap is better. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never, ever, ever had anything like that. And people all around me that were hunters. And I mean, we had a, a solid crew there last night. They all agreed. They're like, this is incredible. Like how, it's it's something that you have to do before you die. That's, all, a, I'm gonna, that's all I'm going to say. It's an experience. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the meat. It's the entire experience watching the meat get shaved. All right, guys, let's recognize one more sponsor before this podcast is over, and that is the Wild Alaskan Company. The website you want to go to is wildalaskancompany.com forward slash fieldcraft. And let me put it this way. We went to Alaska last month. We flew across a cook inlet. We caught silver salmon in bear country and we had a great time. We got a lot of mosquito bites in the process. It is so much easier to order salmon in the mail than it is to go through what we went through. Um, maybe not as much fun, but definitely as tasty. Uh, Wild Alaskan Salmon, this company provides fresh frozen premium, premium salmon that will rival what we caught in the Custard Tan River. Now, I will tell you that if you eat a lot of salmon, you're going to get more omega-3s and protein. It's good for you, right? I always say the best protein has the fewest legs, fish, chicken, right? And then our, you know, four-legged friends. The seafood counter can definitely be intimidating. You could go there and, you know, you talk to the fishmonger and there's all sorts of options. Just go to wildalaskancompany.com and you will know exactly what you're getting. It's amazing stuff. And if I were to take a piece of wild Alaskan salmon and the stuff that I caught, you would not know the difference. It really, really is great. This company takes the guesswork out of buying good seafood. So please go to wildalaskancompany.com forward slash fieldcraft, and you will get 15% off your first box of premium seafood. I love this stuff. I highly recommend it. I think you should check it out. Wildalaskancompany.com forward slash fieldcraft for 15% off your next order. So a a funny story there. I cooked for Jet Tilla and Neil Frazier and a couple other guys. And I made them their sides. It was potatoes and Mm -hmm. veggies and salad or something like that. And they're all sitting around a fire and they have their plates in front of them. And they're like, I pull out this 12 and a half pound blacktail leg. And they all look at me and they're like, why do you have a raw piece of meat that's not cooked? And these are absolutely professional celebrity TV chefs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Some of the best chefs on the planet. Yeah. And I'm like, just give me a second. Marinate it, throw that side face down, marinate the top side, salt and pepper it, and then flip it. And I slice off quarter inch thick steaks, put it straight on their plate in under a minute. And they all look at me like, 
what just happened. I blew their minds. Yeah, Absolutely I, blew their minds. I couldn't believe how quickly it went from just sitting out on that cooler where it was marinating mm-hmm. to you being like, okay, I guess we're going to eat now. You put it on. And in the time span of that short, like 90 or two and a half minute second video yeah. uh, that I put on, I was already eating. I was like, ha. Uh, it, it blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's part of the magic of it. And I think part of the magic of it is my grandfather's legacy and what my grandfather mm-hmm. created with the marinade and, you know, the rosemary brush, you know, there's so much that goes into it. It's, you know, and that's what's been really great for me is getting to go to corporate events, you right. know, Sornex, um, Yeti, Kuyu, mm-hmm. Stone Glacier, you know, tons of companies that have embraced it, uh, Birch Barrel, you name it, all these companies that have embraced it and fell, fallen in love with it. And it's, there's so much hype about it. And people are always like, man, there's so much hype about it. But like, is it really as good? Oh, it is. As, oh, as the is. hype. And I, I, after years of doing it, you know, I mean, I fed vegans. Last night we fed a vegetarian. Right. You know, a guy broke his vegetarian code. <laughs> yeah, he and, did. you know, like that speaks for itself. You know, I cooked at, uh, I cooked with a bunch of folks from Berkeley Board of Education and stuff like that. UC Berkeley, they're not hunter friendly. Wait, they're not? At really? all, right? And this is years and years back. So yeah. I might have rotated out or something like that by now. But I showed up to a uh, apple cider event where we're making fresh apple cider mm-hmm. off of the orchard. And uh, this was up in, um, I can't remember what town in California. Anyways, uh, and I show up to this event to cook for these folks. And I pull out a deer leg and 95% of them are like, we're not touching that. We don't want to eat that. All right, well, trust the process. I start cooking and I shave off the first piece of meat and feed somebody. Shave off the second piece of meat and feed somebody. Soon enough, every single person there ate meat off of that grill. Every single person there was blown away. Some of them were like, well, how can I do this? How can I get deer legs? You know, And the only way to get deer legs, actual wild game deer legs, um, is you know, by way of going out hunting and killing an animal yourself and, and embracing the process of traditional American hunting, uh, which for me at the time was like, that, that's huge. It's a hunter's education instructor. I taught right. for the state of California for eight years. And, you know, really hunter's education to me is so important and passing it on in an affordable manner, you know, um, for everybody to be able to be involved in it. And, uh, getting to see that and the, the light of like, Hey, maybe these people might want to try hunting. Like for me, that's a huge way of bridging the gap and, and finding the fulfillment there that we as hunters can do to bring more people into it because they're going to enjoy the food. And I have yet to meet somebody who's ate a flip flop slice and been like, this is terrible. And I could never eat it right. again. Not it, one person. And normally, like I can, I can usually tell, like if I'm if I'm eating wild game, there is even on the finest cuts, the freshest cuts have been it's been butchered properly and whatnot. There is always a slight gaminess. There's nothing, nothing. Like, like it, it's it really. I mean, it's almost. Some people might even say like, wow, you know, you're taking away the gaminess that I like, but it's a different flavor that you're gonna like more. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I can I can describe that in terms of like the the natural flavor of, of venison. Um, there was someone who asked me, they're like, oh, can I do this with a beef leg? And I'm like, well, you probably could, but you can do it with anything that's an ungulate. So, and that's a, that's a really big thing that a lot of people need to remember when they're doing this. 
I'd hate to see somebody do it with a pig leg or do it with a bear leg or mountain lion or an animal that has a possibility of carrying trigonosis. Mm-hmm. Um, Last night, George and Didi, uh, they were like, I want it raw. Yeah. And, and people were looking at them and like, guys, you can eat certain animals raw. This is what Andy's getting to. Um, but George, I mean, George was a savage last night. Yeah. Like he, I was, he was like expecting a little piece. He gave him a big piece. And I'm like, oh, he's going to cut that. George gobbled that thing down. Yeah. Dipped uh, it in the sauce raw. And Oh, let's talk about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Last night, you're like, get your finger in that sauce. And I'm like, I'm like, okay. And you're like, no, you got to go all the way in. Like well, most, most people just dip the tip. You know what I mean? They just, just the tip, just the tip, yeah. you know? And it's like, nah, man, I want to see half your finger in there, get in there, get the sauce, taste it. Like you need to taste the sauce and just a little like splash, man. You know, yeah. you don't get any flavor there. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Like you need to actually dive in. Yeah. It, the, the cool thing about last night and kind of like, circling back to the, the beginning of this podcast. I mean, the concept of, of sharing meat around a fire, especially if it's kind of removed from the the hunting camp, like that deer, you told me in this podcast, Hey, it came from my buddy. It came from Texas. Like mm-hmm. you can kind of share in that memory, that experience with someone. And let's think back to what we brought up in this, this podcast so far, we talked about journaling right? Journaling is so you can share it with your future self. We talked about calling people that you care about sharing the experience. It's another level of sharing that goes beyond just the auditory sharing or the visual sharing. Now we're talking about tasting the experience mm-hmm. and, and people don't understand how powerful that is. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I keep going back to, to hunting experiences. And I like hanging out with buddies that I go hunting with because you know, when you go to a game dinner, you can talk about an experience that you can relate to on so many levels. Um, what are some of the tips that you would give people if they wanted to try the flip-flop at home? Um, I mean, the biggest thing first, I'd say, reach out to me on Instagram. It's at the flip-flop guy, send me a message and I will do everything I can in my power to help you succeed on doing your own flip-flop. Um, the biggest thing is I recommend charcoal. Mm -hmm. I I recommend charcoal barbecue. It's the only thing that I found that gets hot enough to be able to get that sear right. Um, the later into the leg you get, the slower it is because, you know, the fire cools down a bit. But just have confidence in your ability to do it. Get a knife with a 14-inch blade. I prefer a brisket slicer. Keep your hand off of the fire. Otherwise, you will burn your hand beyond belief. You don't want to do that. Um, but, yeah, man, get out there. Uh, something I'm working on right now and it's, it's coming to fruition. I've been working on it for about a year and a half. Uh, not everybody wants to hunt, you know, not everybody feels like they can kill an animal. Um, I have found a USDA source for 100% true wild game. I will be releasing deer legs for people to purchase Phenomenal. of USDA approved wild game. Um, I've partnered up with Maui Nui and we're getting that. That should be launching here very quick. Um, and anybody who wants to do a flip-flop in any backyard will be able to do it without having to go out and kill an animal. They'll be able to purchase an actual flip-flop specific leg. And uh, it's pretty amazing. What, what I think that might time perfectly with, if you guys are listening, we are talking about doing a game butchering series here in Heber. Um, I'm also setting up a game butchering series in Connecticut, uh, where 
for the first part of the morning, it will cover basic butchering. So essentially quartering the animal and breaking it down into bite-sized pieces. Um, the second half of the day will be the more detailed butchering where we're now taking that entire backstrap and we're cutting it into better bite-sized portions. Um, and then also explaining this is how you properly wrap it for your freezer. This is how you grind it into sausage. Um, I would love to get you out for that yeah. where we're butchering, but we're also eating what we're butchering um, because we've got a, a local source for it. So I think this is a, a great partnership and I will have you back out as much as possible to continue packing my my gullet with as much flip-flop <laughs> meat as possible because it really is insanely good. Mm -hmm. um, where can people find you, Andy? Um, they can find me on Instagram. It's at the flip-flop guy. We have a website uh, where you can find the sauce, buy the sauce, uh, check out our story. There's an 11-minute video on there. That's kind of like our family history and it gets into you know the more specifics of it um, and the website. Drop the ball on that one. The website's www.theflipflopguy.co.co. Um, and that would be the best ways. Yeah. Something that I haven't done in a while, and I want to do this before we sign off here. Um, I usually get in the habit of asking like some rapid fire questions. Really no need to explain. Just give an answer and let people wonder, like, what was he talking about? Um, do you want to do some rapid fire I'm, questions? Yeah, I'm in. All right. Here we go. Hit me. Um, favorite hunting rifle? I just picked up a Gunworks Magnus. I'm really excited for that. Okay. How many tattoos do you have? I don't know. I'm covered <laughs> from my head to my, I'm covered from my neck to my knees. I have my left arm and my left shin left to do. Okay. Favorite state to hunt in? He's thinking, folks. He's really thinking hard on this one. I'm going to say California because it's the most difficult state to hunt in. Okay. You mentioned you enjoy cigars. Favorite cheap cigar. Oh, cheap cigar? I can't cheap talk. Cigar. Oh, It's got to be cheap. Oliva Series V. Okay. Favorite expensive cigar? Oh, oh that's easy. It's Casa Fuente Corona Gorda. That okay. is absolutely hands down the best smoke. If you could hunt with anyone in any time period dead or alive to this day who would it be oh man i want to go on a stone sheep hunt with don jr okay okay that's i'll, I'll give you that one yeah um hmm what is your everyday carry like stuff that you carry every single day if i had my pistol still which i i don't because i was living in california and got rid of it which i'm buying a new one right now it'd be a Wilson Combat, uh, CQB, every day. I carried that thing in California for five years. No, I did not have a concealed carry permit. No, I would not recommend anybody to do that unless they want to catch a case. But where I was, it just that was what I needed for safety. Um, for a knife, I carry in my pocket a silverware knife. That's always in my pocket. It's not in my pocket right now. I don't know why, but... <laughs> sitting on my on my dresser at the house yeah. in Park City. Um, carries in and my phone and that's and my wallet and that's probably what's in my pockets. Good choice on that Wilson CQB. That's what I went to Gunsight with last year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I if you're going to get it in 1911, that's way up there on my list. Mm -hmm. Andy, this was awesome. Um, 
Thank you so much for the opportunity. Oh my God. You guys are wonderful. I can't thank you guys enough. I had such a great time last night. Black Rifle Coffee Company, thank them so much. Mm -hmm. You know, Eastman's absolutely epic. You know, it's just been a great time all around. Yeah. And while you get to enjoy another leg tonight, which is the sheep leg, right? Yeah. Tonight we're cooking a Rocky Mountain sheep leg at the Yeti house here in Park City. I love you to death, but you're a bastard because I have to actually work tonight. I cannot partake in that, but you get to hang out with uh, probably Jen and Ricky. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, they're a little bit easier on the eyes than I am. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, uh, we have to take you over to the headquarters. We got to get you to sign the wall. We got to shoot, have you shoot the simulator, check out what we got over there. Um, but guys, I highly recommend, please check out the flip flop guy. Um, it's not just about the food. It's about the community. Uh, he's got a lot of interesting history that will make you stronger. If you listen to the words that he said, um, and you know, if you are struggling out there, if you feel like you are like the, the past version of Andy, right. And you need someone to talk to you, reach out to your friends, right? If you're, they're truly your friends, they're going to be there for you. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's always great places out there to, to get help. And there's no shame in asking for that help. Well, and I'm going to write in on that, man. Mm -hmm. If there's anybody out there that's struggling with anything that I talked about, feel free to reach out to me. Um, you can reach out on my, I have an Instagram account. It's just game over IG. That's it. Feel free to reach out to me with any questions, concerns. If there's any way that I can maybe help 100%, my phone is on day or night and I'm always happy to help anybody who's struggling with anything that I talked about. It's powerful. All right, guys, uh, this is Kevin Estella with Fieldcraft Survival. Thank you so much for listening.